The content in this program is for informational purposes only. You should not construe any information or other material as investment, financial, tax, or other advice. The views expressed by the participants are solely their own. A participant may have taken or recommended any investment position discussed, but may close such position or alter its recommendation at any time without notice. Nothing contained in this program constitutes a solicitation, recommendation, endorsement, or offer to buy or sell any securities or other financial instruments in any jurisdiction. Please consult your own investment or financial advisor for advice related to all investment decisions. Don't forget to follow at Lead Lag Report on Twitter to join these conversations live. And check out the Lead Lag Report at www.leadlagreport.com. Use promo code PODCAST30 for two weeks free and 30% off to get access to award-winning research and anticipate stock market crashes, corrections, and bear markets. And now, on to our Lead Lag Live discussion, hosted by Michael Guyon. My name is Michael Guyad, publisher of The Lead Lag Report, special guest for the hour, Jeff Booth, who I'm sure many in the Bitcoin community very much look up to. And Jeff, I, I was just watching your interview with what Bitcoin uh, did on, on, on YouTube. And I, I have a lot of interesting things that we can, we can kind of take directionally here. But before we get too deep into anything, just for the audience, uh, explain who you are, what you've done in your career. I hate doing this part. Uh, I know, just, I, I, uh, technology entrepreneur invest one now invest in or or co-founder of a bunch of technology companies and and I wrote a book called The Price of Tomorrow. You've gotten much more succinct <laughs> at doing that. Uh, the more you do these, okay. So so first, I want you to lay out, and I know you've done this many times before, but that's part of the gig, right? Lay out the thesis of. The price of tomorrow, and then we'll we'll kind of riff off of that. It's actually a pretty simple th- thesis. It's just connected to a whole bunch of different islands of information that seem different. But the thesis is uh, technology is deflationary, and it's exponentially deflationary. And in other words, we use it to get more for less. And and as purchasers of it or users of it, we wouldn't use anything that didn't give us value. So it seems pretty obvious that more and more technology is deflationary and it's, it moves faster and faster. And that's up against a system, a credit-based system that must grow for against that natural force. And so and that, that system effect through inflation, that, uh, because if you don't let that system grow forever, you have a credit collapse and the credit collapse is the entire system that government policymakers would print against that natural deflationary force kind of forever perpetuity and bad things would happen to our society because they're two different forces. Okay. And that's where Bitcoin comes into play. So I want to do a thought experiment with you for a second. If we never got off of the gold standard, do you think that Bitcoin would still come into existence? And the reason I'm asking that is arguably one of the reasons that the great financial crisis happened, well, not one of the reasons, the reason was excessive leverage because of the credit-based system and the lack of discipline and a finite uh, amount of leverage you can take on, which is what the gold standard largely did. Talk through how you think the removal of the gold standard perhaps create, resulted in the conditions for the inevitable creation of Bitcoin. And, and it's not just the gold standard. And, and, and the reason, so if I, if I go back and it's kind of in a long-term debt cycle, I'd say the need for velocity and money, which gold couldn't really have. So, and they combine so Two, two different things. One of the things, velocity of money on top of a, on a hard currency required a credit-based system. 
And that credit-based system, once on top of that uh, hard-based system, gives an incentive to grow forever. And politicians, a politician is likely not going to come out and say, we're going to collapse the economy because there's too much credit in it. And, and everything is going to collapse in prices. So they're more incentive to say, we can keep growing forever and we'll just amp up an inflation rate by printing money. So, and the population would believe that or want to believe that easier. And, and that sets up for these long-term debt cycles, which Ray Dalio talks about when, when an a country can't pay back its debts, and it has to effectively default. And typically, instead of de- defaulting, do a soft default, and they print your money away. And as that happens around the world, politicians kind of blame outside forces for that to gain control. And you and you go to war and you reset around a, a typically a hard currency again. And then the currency, then then the new politicians say, "Promise us we won't do it again." But a function of the credit-based system was the gold standard because it needed to be. Could we have kept, continued to grow without it with deflation? So, I mean, so, and growth with technology reduces prices. So could that continue to happen on hard uh, currency? Yes. But you would have in gold specifically, you, you, you can't kind of gain velocity. You can't transfer it around the world at unlimited speed. And the effect of that credit-based system is... Uh, especially when it's fiat and you can print your own dollars, is not necessarily default, as the MMT enthusiasts would argue. It's that you end up having a widening wealth gap, right? I think that's a different way of thinking about default because credit ultimately goes to uh, the top of the top. You mentioned politicians a lot there. Uh, My contention with the thinking around Bitcoin is I think that a lot of the problems with fiat can be solved more with laws, right? And the proper incentive mechanism for politicians, right? Talk through to me why you think that might be wrong, because there's the blunt force argument of a finite supply, right, of of Bitcoins. But there's also the question of incentives. And you can argue that Bitcoin is ultimately about incentives. But why isn't it that law changes in law isn't isn't the answer to this? Well, that's an interesting question, because there's a lot of people that think that that you can, but you have to understand how the laws are written in the first place, and who controls the writing of the laws. And if we would, so currencies that yeah, could be manipulated through time to give their, their kind of whoever's in power, consolidation of more power at somebody else's expense, whether that's a nation against another nation, or a person against a nation. History suggests that a currency that can be manipulated always will be. So if you if you have that, and then you have a belief in society, a wide-held belief that inflation is good for us, or we need 2% inflation to run a productive economy, and you have a whole bunch of people at the bottom, middle and bottom of the socioeconomic ladder that get their pockets picked because of that inflation, they get poorer and poorer and poorer, who are they more likely to believe? Somebody that says... It's those rich people over there, that, and, and it's capitalism's fault. And those rich people over there, those visible uh, people that have all the wealth, it's their fault. And we're going to give you more money. We're going to print more money to give you more money. Who are people, and I mean people, you and me, uh, maybe not me, or maybe not you, but who are the wide variety of people, vast majority of people likely to believe? And they will believe the person who sells them, I'm going to give you free money, and it's that person's fault. And that is why central banks get co-opted by politicians and 
communism and capitalism look exactly the same under printed money because you don't have a vote in in something that is if you're at the bottom of the socioeconomic ladder in something that's taking about 70 percent of it's not taxes it's 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 a theft but you don't have a vote in it yeah no which makes sense i mean you have to have you know a degree of responsibility by lawmakers which we can argue is debatable because they have their own incentives and motivations okay so but let's wait so let's just sorry yeah connect that to it so so at the bottom of uh, so middle class and bottom which is getting a further and further divide they're incented to lawmakers that that create it's those rich people's fault and in it and try to transfer wealth through taxes and everything and and there's not enough people at the top there's actually not enough people in the entire system that you could solve this through taxes. So you have to solve it through inflation, which makes that divide worse and worse and creates more and more, more and more people looking at other people as the problem. And, and then politicians capture that anger and they change laws with it. That's what typically happens. On the other side of that coin, the wealthy corrupt through lobbying the system at the top and they're they're kind of WEF is a good example of what happens when in when an influential lobbying group that is essentially directing policy worldwide with and nobody nobody elects them we'll be back after a quick break hello listeners michael guyad here from lead lag live are you ready to take a deep dive into market trends risk management and investment strategies then you need the lead lag report our in-depth analysis helps you understand the financial markets like never before and guess what we're giving you a chance to experience it at a discounted rate. Visit theleadlag.report slash leadlaglive and get an exclusive 30% off on your subscription. Don't miss out. Level up your investment game with the Lead Lag Report. And now, back to our discussion. You mentioned the wealthy corrupt for a second, which is interesting because I would argue that the wealthy also corrupt correlations and diversification, right? So there are a lot of studies, for example, that show that when a stock uh, goes into an index, suddenly its correlation and beta will closer match the index, right? Because everything moves within the index. And arguably, the institutionalization of Bitcoin has increased correlations compared to the past as the wealthy want to get wealthier, taking advantage of the trend. Talk through the the benefits and perils of the institutionalization of Bitcoin from the perspective of diversification, because yeah, I named the space purposely the, the Bitcoin comeback because it's correlated with everything else on the downside in this period here. But talk through that because I feel like that's something that most people are not really appreciative of. And sorry, Michael, the, when you say talk through it from a from a bottoms up approach and how it'll eventually be uncorrelated, or yeah, exactly right. Because I think I think what's what's the narrative that Bitcoin, for example is an inflation hedge broke when equities broke the narrative that okay. uh, right so that, yeah. that that's sort of yeah and i and i think it's because a lot of people are looking at it as an investment and and they're measuring that investment in fiat dollars and they're measuring all of their investment with in fiat dollars and that invest the error code is what they're looking through kind of bitcoin as when it's a new system and and let's see let's do that, that thought experiment that you said so if the entire system is based on credit and governments don't print, what will happen? Let's just, they're, they're committed, central bank has independence, what will happen? Let's just play that scenario out. 
And you know that scenario, Michael. Everything rolls over. Even the threat of, of reducing easing and the increasing rates, right now you're seeing everything rolling over. That rolling over precipitates a credit collapse, and that credit collapse gains speed faster and faster and faster. When people go to the bank to remove their money, they realize the bank is closed because the money was only credit in the first place, and the counterparty risk spreads all over the world, and everything fails. And all those failings, 22%, I think, of the S&P right now can't pay just the interest expense at their the old rates. So what happens is rates go up, and those 22% of the companies now fail on their debt and actually fail as companies. And all the employees in all those companies start failing on their debts. You have a, a precipitous unwind of that credit. That credit, credit is everything. It's an entire system by which we live on top of into before Bitcoin. And so what would happen in that thought experiment is if that was allowed to continue, the the only money that would be worth any value is the money that you would have under your mattress because all the banks would be um, closed. They would all go under globally. In that thought experiment, um, what would happen in Bitcoin is it would fall too. But I sure would rather have a peer-to-peer money that I could uh, spend with hundreds of millions of people building the new system and that than than a bunch of dollars. So because you would move quickly to another system. Now, in that thought experiment, that's not going to happen because governments have to print. And that's why I say the co-opting of the state, central bank, they have to keep going. And you see right now what's happening globally. Yen is breaking, euro is breaking. And you're, you're starting to see other countries ease and the U.S. continue to tighten. And that because a lot of the foreign debts are owned in U.S. currency, if that continues to happen, it just unwinds all over the world. It starts to unwind all over the world. So this is interconnected, and governments are essentially, what I said before, now I'm going to use my people kind of to create a geopolitical weapon through trade, trade through pegging my rates of currency or devaluing my currency so that I, so, so world trade breaks down. That's kind of what's happening today. I had uh, I had put out a tweet, Jeff, arguing that the student loan forgiveness discussions would be the first step towards uh, broader government debt forgiveness. And correct me if I'm wrong, but I think a lot of the diehard Bitcoin uh, believers would argue that that's sort of the inevitable path, right? That at some point you're going to have to have some kind of reset, and that's where Bitcoin steps in. But if that's the case, that would argue that there's still more potential for fiat to to survive longer than most maybe would otherwise want to believe. So talk well, through gonna, that. Yes, yeah, so Fiat's going to be around for a long time. And if I said and the best way to look at Bitcoin for anyone that's not or hasn't heard me or is a new network that's building from the bottom up and it's early, it's like the internet. And most people that are measuring it are measuring it as an investment from the system. And what we just talked about before, whether the, whether prices go down everywhere faster than your new currency in Bitcoin, or Bitcoin rises faster than inflation, either or, what Bitcoin is doing is siphoning off all of the economic energy in one system into a new system that is peer-to-peer, that's impossible to stop, that has, that, that has essentially unlimited velocity through code built into the structure so that you don't need a massive credit system to be able to gain velocity and you don't arbitrarily put our lives or people's lives in control of a few people. So so that's that would be the biggest mistake I see people measuring Bitcoin as investment instead of a, a transitionary mechanism. 
But that transitionary mechanism, the new currency that's being built, is early. And some of the products, just like the internet, was early in 97. And, and so if you looked at the internet in 97, you could easily miss that Google was to launch in 2000, that, that, that Facebook in 2008. You could really easily miss everything that came after the internet in 97 and if you look at the big businesses at the time they clearly missed it and they missed it and that's a bottom-up movement typically wouldn't why is it a bottom-up movement a lot of the a lot of people in this space like to talk about when are the pension funds coming in which they are coming in when are countries balance sheets coming in when they are coming in but what what typically happens in any tech that it really makes a difference is that technology is a bottoms-up approach, and the bottoms-up approach ruins the old monopoly because they have no way to stop it, and because it gives so much value to the bottom and to people that are purposely left out of the monopoly. And and so, if you think about El Salvador joining, now Central African Republic joining, and another country adoption through that lens, or the people that are using this and actually building on top of it, using it, many of those countries or people were the most left out of an economic system, and and could make a choice to kind of upward volatile currency before countries before Western-based countries could, because we had always considered our currency non-volatile. That's going to change. And and some of those, kind of, so that bottom-up movement through people, because it gives the people locked out of the existing system so much value, is what's happening in Bitcoin. We'll be back after a quick break. Foodies unite with How You Dish. It's social media with a secret sauce. Food, the world's first network for food enthusiasts. How You Dish connects foodies across the world. Share kitchen tips and recipe hacks. Discover hidden gem food joints and street food. Find foodies like you. Connect, chat, and organize meetups. How You Dish makes it simple to connect through food anywhere in the world. So, how do you dish? Download How You Dish on the Apple App Store now. Yeah, and, and I'm in full agreement of that. And, you know, I always make it a point. It's not that I'm anti-Bitcoin. I'm anti-narratives that don't make sense. I see a lot of social media that seem to make it seem like Bitcoin is inevitable literally tomorrow. But these yeah, no, things do take time. I'm with you. It's going to take – if I said my best probable case is is Bitcoin continues to take – and and how it continues, whether there's kind of – tightening and everything falls and bitcoin doesn't fall as much or or inflation and bitcoin outperforms the inflation either way bitcoin's going to suck out more and more monetary energy out of the existing system that has to fail by the way that's actually probably the best place because if we if we just said let's let this fail today we couldn't let that fail dictators would rise into the vacuum and laws would be changed so I sure wouldn't want to be a central banker at this time. But the other side of it, but the other side of that is countries have to kind of protect their national interests through through currency anyway. And then and as they're doing that, that's what it's happening to raw materials today. Essentially, my raw materials or my energy is worth more than your printed money. And it's and so you are all over the world, people are saying what is valuable and 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 turning in but this is so if i said my probable case would be bitcoin kind of moves into kind of a reserve asset and 
continues its network effect. In other countries, just think think about trying to peg to it and keep their inflationary policies in their in their digital coins. And if they do that against accelerating technology, what would me, that would mean? And you had a neutral res, neutral reserve asset around the world that countries are trying to peg to. What it would mean is breaking their peg faster and faster and faster because technology is moving faster. In other words, their currencies would fail. At a, at a faster rate, and that rate might be 30 years, but it would still fail. And each of those cycles would bring more and more people to Bitcoin as they understood the game they were playing. It has unlimited monetary velocity. In other words, the argument breakdown, breakdown of we require fiat for mon monetary velocity because gold doesn't allow that breaks down. And it breaks down through tech. You're con you're you're actually right in the fact that, that when people go into a recession is or, or want to save, or because they're scared of the market and over exuberance of the market, that they pull in and they actually create it worse. But that whole cycle is created actually out of that whole cycle that that allows that exuberant to go crazy to get to a debt cycle that can't be paid back. It is a human-based cycle that says we won't let a system fail. And so once you insert humans into the loop to try to drive drive the economy up through more printed money or more debt that can't be paid back, there's an assumption, and I think you're making an assumption, that eventually those same humans will remove that velocity and, and let the natural forces play, play, or remove that debt and let natural forces play. And history says they never do. They keep going, and they blame somebody else. So... We're making two different kind of thought experiments there. One, this system is a system that doesn't require the debt to do that. And this system also ensures that you don't have wild, wild swings from these growth cycles that are unachievable to depressions that are, that are caused by those growth cycles that are caused by people in the loop on debt. Yeah, no, no, I totally do. And I think this is probably best handled. But, but here's what ends up happening. And here's what's proof of what ends up happening. What you just said is that, that sounds wonderful. If you could have a free banking system, and you would allow that to happen. It all it gets co-opted by a central banking system, because, because people demand it, because of the removal of credit when when it becomes too hard. And those banks, will, the, the banks that were taking the risks fail then central banks step in and people demand it. And so so in that, if you could have a free banking system, then you're probably right. You probably wouldn't need Bitcoin. You could do you could create something like that. You can't. You, what history says is it doesn't last. We agree and, disagree, and, and, this, and there's going to be a ton of experiments on top of Bitcoin. Free banking is going to be one of them. Some some of those banks or exchanges are going to take too much risk because they want to leverage what you're creating, and and the, and in Bitcoin they'll all go broke, or or a bunch of them will go broke. So I'm not saying that credit can't exist. I'm saying on top of a system like this, there's going to be a whole bunch of experiments, and some of those and some of people are just going to avoid the credit and do peer to peer. Hold, hold on, Aaron, but I want I want to go a different direction for a second because I think that's an interesting discussion. But let me let me put a different angle out there for a second. So I had uh, Anas Al-Haji on a space before, and he's he's all about oil. And I had asked him the question of, you know, how does Bitcoin interact with oil uh, dynamics? And he made the point, Jeff, that you need to have Bitcoin's market cap be so much more uh, on, on a level of magnitude that most people don't realize for uh, oil, for it to be able to, to essentially be 
the currency of choice for oil, given how big oil is. Right. And and what's interesting, I think, and this goes back to why I think it can take a lot longer than, than people realize. If you go with the secular oil arguments that oil prices or oil you know, value keeps increasing over time because of finite supply and all this, well, then you almost had this race of Bitcoin's market cap against oil's market cap. So, so you know, let, let's pick on that and just ask a simple question, because these, these are all conflated. All these arguments get conflated because we're measuring it. The, the system of measure in the existing system is the one that's being devalued all over the world. And that's what's so hard for people to understand. And then they're making arguments from that. So the argument you just made, Michael, which a lot of people would share, just ask this. Has there been more technology to produce oil prices and transport oil prices around the world and, and ex- extract, store, produ- produce than, than ever? And it, does it cost less labor, a lot less labor to, to find oil today? And I think you'd see that oil prices without manipulation should be down. The only reason oil prices are up is because of said manipulation in currencies that are, that are driving scarce resources up. And then we measure that system and say, see, oil prices always rise. But when they were manipulated to rise in the first place. And that conundrum that you were talking about. And then we say, we can fix climate from this system. The technology reduces prices and gives us more for less. Yet we have to obfuscate all of those gains by making prices go up. And from from there, what you see is the two different systems. It, it, the big thing that I realized in writing the book, and, and even afterwards, is there was no fix from the system. There was it was just impossible to fix from the system. Right. So there's only delays, right? Correct. Exactly. Exactly. So so it would it would kick the can down the road. There would be people saying, "Let's go. Let's go back to a gold standard." But to get to there, then you'd have to say, okay, U.S., Russia, and China, the largest holders of gold, are going to have to trust each other's reserve. And everybody else is going to follow suit on a new standard that in today's world, where distrust is super high, in today's world, that people are going to say, okay, we're going to trust everybody to do the right thing and not cheat. And I'd say not that there's a zero probability event that they try gold prices can rise in that in that in the long term i think people are going to see that the new network is just moving faster and faster and, and all of these reasons that people are looking around realizing there's no fix from the existing system they'd start moving over to the new system and that system to to go to the point on on the price of how or how big that new system will be i completely agree with you that's how early we are. It's such a, it's, we're so early in that new system and it needs to be orders of magnitude big, bigger and it will be. Yeah, it's so I like to talk about this in systems and, and I like the question, but it's from a, there is going to be a lot of innovation in this space and a lot of this innovation, whether lending products or exchanges or XYZ or El Salvador bonds. Some of it's going to work ex- uh, extraordinarily. Some of it's going to fail ex- extraordinarily. And and the ones that fail will point the way for new use cases to be to to work. And, and we get caught up in the individual kind of ideas and say this is the idea, while not realizing that the entire kind of open decentralized monetary network that all of those ideas are building on top of is the idea. And some of and some of the ones that are going to work. And if they work, they're going to give a blueprint and create a ton of value for entrepreneurs. They're going to give a blueprint to be able to build it faster and faster. 
it just like the internet. And I remember being through the kind of first dot-com collapse and watching a whole bunch of companies collapse through there that then after that were recreated in another form that gave tons of value. Presumably, Jeff, you have more of your invested capital uh, than just owning Bitcoin. I, I'm going to assume, right, that you've got... you got you, you can you can assume correctly. Okay, <laughs> yeah. okay. So, so I, and I, uh, here's where I'm going with that, and this kind of goes a little bit to the store value rant I kept on doing all morning, really partially for fun, but just to make this point that narratives are largely nonsense. If we agree that it's going to take a long time, and if we agree also that nobody knows how long it's going to take, then you've got to size it appropriately relative to your own risk tolerance and time horizon. Right, not the time horizon of Bitcoin, but the time horizon of the individual self. From that perspective, how do you think people should position into Bitcoin from a weighting standpoint? Because my, my whole bit about store of value is largely around this idea that if you keep saying it's a store of value, it implies it's safe, that you can put all of your net worth into it and be assured that when you need it, because of those inevitable black swans of life, it's not going to change very much. But we know that's not true. Right. So you've got to size it appropriately. So how do you think about waiting versus time? Yeah. And and obviously, as as you understand this deeper and deeper, for me, I've increased waiting. And then but every single person is different. If you're younger and you think you want to go all in, like you, you know this from investing. How do you make a ton of money or lose a ton of money in investing? You're all into a trade or not or in, in building a business. An entrepreneur takes crazy they think it's kind of an asymmetric bet on themselves to create value but they become all into that company and then as soon as they win they diversify so it depends on where you are on that cycle as you well well know and who what any individual person should do or what they feel comfortable in doing what i tend to look at it is what type of at the investment level what type of investments are going to outperform bitcoin over the long term that's kind of, and there are, there, are, if, if you had a technology company with network effects or you could still find, and you were really early in that company and you designed that company, you can still find incredible value gains in some of those. So I'd still, I'm, I'm an investor in technology. I'm an investor in technology companies where they can provide value to society. And I think you can, and, and you can capture that value. And I know I'm not specifically answering your question on waiting, and I, I want to be careful of not answering your question on waiting because I don't want people to just follow my waiting. No, um, no, of course, but but, but actually, you, you hit on something which is I remember hearing that at a conference many years ago. I forget who said it, but somebody once said that diversification is a luxury for the rich. Yeah, right? and that's and, what, it, it, you're trying to protect your money rather than make more money. And so wherever you wherever you are on that spectrum, if you're a young entrepreneur, then you go be typically and you diversify all your time, you're going to be unsuccessful. And so the same thing applies here. So the the diversification happens afterwards. And if you're a billionaire, you would and you had a zero portfolio waiting to Bitcoin. I think that's a huge mistake. I think you're taking a crazy. Uh, risk on your portfolio. So then I look at all the asset classes underneath that, and I realize that they're all denominated in the same fiat currency that needs to drive. Like if you looked at housing, just play out the trends going forward. And if if printing continues in housing, and if printing continues to drive this rich versus poor, either housing will be taken back by force through street riots, or housing will be taken in a totally different manner through taxes. And there is only eventualities long-term of that. So I would look at that investment, and I would make that a smaller investment part of my overall thesis. 
Now, I think you know this, but I, I started a, a, a venture fund in the space to be building on top of the Bitcoin ecosystem. And so the question is why? And two parts to that. I think the ecosystem is that now at a point that the, there's a really great investment thesis to deliver products on top of the ecosystem that'll bring the next billions of people onto the ecosystem. And so it's a really great asymmetric bet there. But it's actually probably deeper philosophically for me. And, and, and what I realized is if I want a system based on fair rules and something that can't be manipulated and I know where the existing system goes, then I'm going to start investing way more of my time and energy into those entrepreneurs building on top of that system. And so, so now it's not just an investment for me. It's a, I want the world, I, I have an intention to where I think the world needs to move. I'm going to spend my time moving it there. Talk through the way that people need to think about investing in Bitcoin versus the underlying blockchain technology itself, right? Because you can argue that they're related, but there's, there's different paths on the blockchain side than just Bitcoin by itself. Yeah, and I think, so if you if you just and I'm, I, I do a mediocre job because I'm going to simplify. But if you think about a triangle and you can only solve two two sides of that triangle, in in, in a blockchain, decentralization, security, and scalability, and you can only solve two sides. And Bitcoin solved decentralization and security, and I think that's pretty evident, and that's why it grew to the size as a, as a store of value that it did, and it's continuing to grow. But it didn't solve scalability at least on the primary level or primary layer. And that opened up other blockchains to be able to solve scalability and, and miss either security or decentralization. And so all those other blockchains, which you could have smart contracts and, and other entrepreneurs could build on top of, became this kind of wild west and the in incentive dynamics. You could make a lot of money early and then they kind of all fade out and they go down. And and But a lot of... I would say people not realizing that long-term effects of building on top of that scalability for even the entrepreneurs was building on top of quicksand. And we're still really early and people are figuring that out. But it's that is the truth because all of those blockchains have to be centralized over time and you risk changing of the rules. So so it's not the entrepreneurs that are fault there. They're just trying to build value on top of it on something that's a kind of a stable foundation. And there wasn't a stable foundation in Bitcoin at the time that they could build value on top of. Now through Lightning, Tarot, that's, uh, that's coming out, there seems to be a stable foundation. There is a stable foundation. And there's, there's an entire ecosystem of entrepreneurs that wants to build on top of a stable foundation instead of on top of quicksand. And so you're going to see a port, an incredible port of talent over to the Bitcoin ecosystem because of that value. And that's what I'm investing in. And that's what I'm investing the time in. And because now through the second layer and so third, third layer, it reinforces onto top of the base, base Bitcoin. Okay. So again, you've, you've been involved with technology companies as an entrepreneur for a while. So you've seen many cycles when it comes to the VC side of things. I remember seeing a tweet a couple of months ago from a well-known VC individual who said that uh, he's never seen in his career so much money being thrown at the space, even without necessarily a solid business plan. Just in terms, <laughs> of, the, just in terms of the here now, I'm curious what you've seen in terms of the VC side of things, because oftentimes that can be a sign of a, of a top, at least short term, or maybe intermediate term in a particular industry. Talk through that a little bit for the audience. 
So I in NFTs and all of the in other all the other coins, I think I see that there's tons of money going in that with very little understanding of what we just previously talked about. And that's actually why it becomes an asymmetric bet. And I did see all of these times. I remember 1999, like it was yesterday, because I was building a company that <laughs> that was you could you could raise money on the back of a napkin, and then and then four months later, nothing. It was and and so these essentially cycles of greed and fear drive over us, and those cycles of greed and fear are today hugely influenced by how much money the, the governments are going to print. And so if governments are printing like crazy, then a whole bunch of, if effectively the incentive value is, and what people are trying to do, they don't want more money. They want to escape the system. They want what they think money will give them. So whether that's more time, more time with their family, more safety, they want what they think money will give them. So as you manipulate money more and more, people are going to gamble more and take higher risks too. And, and if that's all an NFT ecosystem that's kind of building on top of an unstable foundation. I totally get why the incentives making a fast money quickly would get created a lot of people there, but it's little more than gambling. And in 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 what's happened, what's what I think on Bitcoin is, and again, people could say I'm wrong, everything else, but I just at a first principle level, and what I've seen in technology is the technology keeps on moving forward and the adoption rate keeps on moving forward on things that really work. They care less about those cycles. Yes, like short short term, they it, it, it might go down, but the site, but the underlying technology hardens, gets stronger and stronger, and then people wake up on the other side of it goes and go, how did I miss it? So, yeah, look into proof of work and why that's impossible on proof of work, because I won't be able to go into this right now. But governments essentially can uh, shut down exchanges. They can go after exchanges, make it harder to interact with. But each government that's tried to do that because there is no head to choke and there is the attack vectors. You'd have to go find all the nodes in the world that are all in different regions and all the mining. And, and, and it creates a game theory incentive to, to move beyond that. But anyways, do that work yourself. I'm convinced right now that there's no way that governments are going to be able to attack Bitcoin without actually making it stronger. And, and because if a government says we're going to ban Bitcoin, effectively what they're saying to their citizens is we're going to ban the Internet and it keeps on moving. So how did that work out for North Korea? And and so this and, and it makes it more advantageous for other countries to adopt it faster. And that's where the free market is going to take the take this. So if a government says that they're saying they're effectively with a megaphone telling you why you need it as badly as you need it. And, and what you'd see in growth rates of this when governments try to ban it, that's when it actually grows faster. Yeah. So the adventure timeline, we know that I, I suspect in the next three months, credit markets are going to really kind of start to throw if they're not already they are already but they're going to really start to break something's going to break around the world and and as that breaks you're going to see yield curve control all over the world too and and yes risk assets will move move up again to uh, with yield curve control or more more printing but but at some point that network of a bitcoin people realize what it really is in the network and that's why andy i tried to say before whether all prices fall faster than Bitcoin or all, all prices or Bitcoin rises other than that's kind of where I see this going to remove the noise of essentially everything that people measure Bitcoin in is from from the fiat currency being destroyed. So but I'd love to hear your thought. 
Yeah, and and I think the the piece on there is it's hard to it's hard to measure a new technology platform. Like effectively, if you could have invested inside of the internet, you you couldn't. But if you could have invested in the layer of the internet, and then you gained value from all of the things that were built on top of the layer of the internet, I think that's the way to look at this. Because because I suspect as it eclipses gold as it goes through that next step because people are starting to trade in it, create value on top of it and actually use it as a currency it it just it moves faster and faster on those on those rails so i think we i don't think we have a historical look at what bitcoin could look like other than something like the internet and we never were we and we were able never able to invest in the internet itself yeah, and my response to that would be it, it acts like a risk on asset until it doesn't. Exactly. I, I know that sounds silly, but that's just the reality, right? It's like that is, totally. Right? It's like you don't know what the reason is until after <clears throat> the fact. It could just be a function of of time. But and again, I go back to my criticisms around the narrative is that people make the assumption that it happens tomorrow with a certain degree of certainty. And I just and part of my ethos is that I don't believe anybody can predict the future. It's just the way that I operate. So, so if you just keep going on what you just said on what has to happen as governments as as a coordinated policy, whether and even if you're not a conspiracy theorist and and just say the function of our existing system, the entire function requires inflation, otherwise it's insolvent and collapses, and it requires ever greater inflation, and that ever greater inflation essentially manipulated money means manipulation everywhere in society gives the same people the control function as they remove it from control function of humans into a into a society that looks very dystopian by nature i suspect that we as humans wouldn't allow that to happen kind of on a global basis but that is actually what you're fighting for and that's existing that existing system it, it, it has to remove individual rights and freedoms to be able to gain, to be able to gr- at the uh, greater expense of centralization, it has to, it, it has to. It's a function of the currency, and so 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 it's why it's it's a why it's in fact that's one of the reasons why I'm saying it, Bitcoin just holding Bitcoin is enough for me. It's not just an investment. It may be my kid's future, and I'm going to spend my time building this network and and that's based on truth, hope, abundance, rather than giving my time. And, and leaning into a system that is going to is going to fail or be centralized. And it gives you flexibility because some countries will opt out of that system. And so so in, so if you can remember 12 words, you can get on a plane, you can go anywhere and that capital destruction is going to come everywhere. So exact exact fact. And it, it, it to me, it's not a, like it's a lot of people talk about it's the greatest asymmetric bet of our time, which I agree with. But it's it's way more than that. It, it's I can't believe people look at it as a risk asset when it might be the least risky thing you could buy today. And in fairness to that, I mean volatility is not is not necessarily bad. I mean it's perceived as risky Correct. if you have to sell the investment to use that that cash right for whatever reason. But yeah, I, I think you're right, and, that, and that's where I think a lot of traditional Wall Street also gets it wrong, right? In fairness to the the Bitcoin community. Yeah. So if you if you connect the dots on what you're what you're saying and what you what you'll see is this is kind of the beauty of this network and and why why it's hard to because Russia doesn't really want Bitcoin because it takes away from um, a centralized power. But they're trying to find out how do I price my oil? What do I price my oil into? And and so dictators 
don't exactly love Bitcoin because it removes the power. It puts the power back in the citizens' control. And as soon as we decide to take back that power, if enough people buy Bitcoin and start transacting in Bitcoin, remember, the government isn't just this opaque entity. All the governments, they're made up of, of us, our individual thoughts, our actions. So I suspect but, that will some try? Yes. But, uh, but if, if governments try to, let's say, let's say North Korea gets into mining, right? And that's it. The the margins compress so fast as more and more countries and other other nations move into that. I says, and 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 I think it's going to be more denominated by a free market force than governments. So now, in a piece of Bitcoin, I think that's misunderstood, and maybe this is where you're going. I'll try, but I think people think about it as a reserve asset you you hold, and now everything else is anchored against it, and you have a huge credit bubble on top of Bitcoin. That I don't think is going to happen the same same way, and and why? Because if people to lever their Bitcoin, it's when when it turns against them, there is no counterparty um, person that's going to going to save you. It's uh, you're wiped out, and so what that means is the free market is in control, and and every action on top of the Bitcoin network, essentially, we don't. If you kind of us in control, we use Google, we use this Hangout right now on, on Spaces because it's free. It gives us value. And it touches millions of people now. And a free market working on top of Bitcoin reduces price over and over and over. In other words, the only way to gain more Bitcoin is to either mine it and competitively mine it today or deliver value to somebody else. And that value delivering to somebody else is on a, on a network that brings prices down forever, the way the free market should look, is the way to, to give broad-based abundance to society through a system that allows the free market to work. If you tried, in other words, if you tried to take your Bitcoin, hire a standing army to protect how much Bitcoin you 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 had and maybe make more, what you're doing is distributing your Bitcoin to other people. So the free market is really in force, which is the best best way to move the abundance gain from technology, our time, to the broadest number of people. I think that's a, a good place to end the space. Everybody that's been here, hopefully you enjoyed the conversation. Jeff, you know, I really do enjoy listening to you because, again, a lot of people, I think, in the Bitcoin space say things that, to me, intuitively don't make sense. A lot of what you say makes sense. So thank you for coming on. Thank everybody for joining. The content in this program is for informational purposes only. You should not construe any information or other material as investment, financial, tax, or other advice. The views expressed by the participants are solely their own. A participant may have taken or recommended any investment position discussed, but may close such position or alter its recommendation at any time without notice. Nothing contained in this program constitutes a solicitation, recommendation, endorsement, or offer to buy or sell any securities or other financial instruments in any jurisdiction. Please consult your own investment or financial advisor for advice related to all investment decisions. Don't forget to follow at Lead Lag Report on X, Instagram, Threads, and YouTube, and check out the Lead Lag Report at www.leadlagreport.com. Use promo code PODCAST30 for two weeks free and 30% off to get access to award-winning research and anticipate stock market crashes, corrections, and bear markets.